0: Okay, that's cool. James.
1: That is James.
0: i talking to him.
1: I'm talking to him. That's right. And you? Hi, dude. He talking to James? Yeah, I'm talking to James.
0: After years on the road, Toomey parked the van and picked up the mic to bring you this podcast that features interviews with people from hardcore to hair metal. This is Talk To Me with your host Joshua Toomey.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to Talk To Me. This is episode 106, and this is the return of the legendary James Morris, formerly of Downset, now of his uh, new band, Non-Con. We talk a lot about Non-Con. We talk about Pantera and Big Val. We talk about touring Europe and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. This is a very long conversation, a nice classic Talk To Me. <laughs> very long podcast, so uh, let's get into the show. <laughs>
0: Talk to me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash talk to me talk.
1: I'm not collecting friends and I'm not building any fonts. I don't want to get sucked into this. And Twitter
0: at TalkToMeTalk. Talk.
1: And I want to say thank you to each and every one of you that reached out over the weekend and wished me a happy birthday. This is the first podcast as a 38-year-old man. <laughs> Getting up there in age, right? Pushing 40. And 40 is coming quicker than you will ever know. Uh, you know, one of these days I will be doing a podcast saying I just turned 40 and it'll be a, be a sad day in the Toomey household. I, I think I pulled him, pulled a muscle in my neck just waking up the other day. I don't, I don't even know how he did that. So falling apart on this. (laughs) <laughs> but as long as I can uh, hit record on the podcast, I'll uh, I'll I'll keep putting them out for you. So thank you once again to each and every one of you out there that sent a nice thank you or uh, sent a nice happy birthday to me over the weekend. It was fun. The wife and I drove up to Indianapolis and we got to see the great Joe Rogan live. Uh, he did like you know an hour hour and a half of stand up comedy and we had a blast. Uh, getting into that a little bit on the interview, uh, interview with James Morris. I did this on Sunday. We saw Joe Rogan on Saturday, and then I edited this up and got it out to you guys because James Morris is one of my my favorite people out there. And uh, a little backstory, as you heard at the very beginning of this podcast, that's the the first uh, introduction to Elton on the podcast. My my two and a half year old, uh, he came in. Um, we we had actually done this interview, I believe. Thursday, no Tuesday, last Tuesday, and um, Elton stayed home uh, from daycare because he wasn't feeling well, and so uh, I tried to do the interview with Elton watching cartoons in the other room, and I guess he heard Dad talking, so he had to come and check out what was going on, and uh, he wanted to talk to James too, as you can tell, and uh, even the next day he saw the microphone, he was like, "I want to talk to James, I want to talk to james so uh, so so Elton. Is a huge fan of James Morris, also. But uh, I, I talked to James. I was like, you know what? I can edit what I had together, but it would have just been a mess. So we ended up redoing the interview Sunday. Uh, got to get a good hour talk in with him. And uh, man, what a great guy! What a great guest! And uh, like I like I said in the uh, original time that he came on, and uh, I say it today, and I'll say it, you know, every time he comes on, man, I, I was a huge, huge fan of him uh, growing up. And uh, it's it's great to not only call him a call him a guest on the podcast, but also call him a friend. He's got a great new band called non that which we get into. We'll play a couple of songs by them. Uh, their new album is out now. You can go check it out and uh, make sure to download it on. Uh, I believe it's on their Bandcamp page and uh, all that stuff, all that fun stuff. It's only like seven bucks, man. Go uh, go support what James is doing because James is a great dude. And speaking of supporting. I've got a great five-star iTunes review for you guys this week, and it comes from our good friends over at Discography Discussion, who I was a guest on uh, not too long ago. We talked some new metal. like uh, like I guess I'm an expert on new metal these days. So, so if you want to check out some uh, – it's like almost a two-hour podcast of just talking new metal. Go and check my uh, episode out on Discography Discussion. But it's a nice five-star review, and it's just entitled Talk To Me with looks like 9 to 12 exclamation points. Over the past several months, this has been one of those podcasts that I can count on for great weekly content. Toomey has a nice, soothing voice that makes me feel right at home, and his guests are just unbelievable. The Jeff Walker of Carcass episode was especially awesome, as I am a huge fan. I love that his interviews aren't generic, and he really pulls some great stuff out of his guests and gives us a neat look into the lives of his guests. He's had over 100 episodes. So, your thirst for talk to me shall never run dry. Keep it up, Dan, Discography Discussion Podcast. And if you guys have a podcast out there, that's like the easiest way to do some promo right there. Just leave a nice five star rating on iTunes, and I get to throw you a bone each week. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and actually, I believe Discography Discussion will come up when I uh, do some shout outs for sharing. So, I think Dan and those guys. Get how to cross-promote on podcasts. And so let's see. We also like to do some shout-outs for sharing. That is shout-outs for sharing on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I didn't do shout-outs last week on the Billy Milano episode, so we will, we will double up. So this is for the Trav Turner and the Billy Milano episodes. And let's see. From Twitter, we've got Dan from a discography discussion and discography discussion itself uh, retweeted the podcast. And we've also got Trav Turner. Thankfully, he uh, he shared the podcast. Dan Chapu, Chris Sinzak, Adam Cox, Joel Baggett, Katie Douglas, Kenneth Roy or Kenneth Waugh, uh, Vincent Wren, Ben Bailey, who uh, sent me a nice uh, sent me some nice messages earlier today. Thank you for that. Always appreciate that. The Cobras and Fire podcast shared it, and not only shared it their, uh, their episode this week was based on uh, my wife and I who just recently got remarried yes I married her we broke up we got remarried uh they did bands that are broken up and gotten back together so and uh, dedicated it to the wife and I so I thought that was great and Billy Milano also shared it on his uh, on his Facebook so you gotta say thank you to those guys and thank you to you because I know when you see this podcast pop up in your Facebook timeline, your Twitter feed, you're going to hit that share button, hit that retweet button, and get a shout-out on a future episode of the Talk To Me podcast. And in the spirit of Billy Milano, who was the guest last week on the podcast, we're going to do a cover of the week brought to you by insert yourself here. Because I don't, have a, I don't have a sponsor for this one. If you want to sponsor the Talk To Me cover of the week, reach out to me on Facebook. Reach out to me on Twitter. Reach out to me on my Gmail account. All uh, Talk To Me Talk Gmail, Talk To Me Talk on Facebook, or at Talk To Me Talk on Twitter. And uh, if you want your song played, you want your band talked about, let me know. We can work something out. I work cheap. So for the Talk To Me cover of the week brought to you by, yes, brought to you by you. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go with Anthrax off of Attack of the Killer Bees with their uh, their cover of Milk. So let's check it out.
0: Hey, I'm Shannon Guns from SiriusXM Octane, and you're listening to Talk to Me.
1: Now on to the guest of honor this week, and that is James Morris of Downset, and now of NonCon. What a great guy. What a great guest. Uh, you know, like, I, like I've said on past episodes, man, you know, it's great to be Facebook friends with him. It's great to be, uh, you know, we, we message each other, things like that. Uh, this this podcast has brought a lot of things into my life. And one thing is a, is a friendship with James Morris. And that's, that's a huge thing for me. Um, uh, we're going to check out a song called Lab Rat right now. And then we will talk to James Morris. And I will see you guys on the other side. Hello everybody, this is Max Cavalera, Soulfly, Return to Roots, and you are listening to Talk to Me. Stay metal. Oi! the uh, legendary James Morris on the line, and we just listened to some Lab Rats off the latest non-con album, man. How you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for playing our stuff. Um, it's real exciting to be on the on the air with you and to debut the album. This is great.
1: But looking into it, man, I, I've noticed non-con, you know, is not a new band. It's actually a, a very old band uh, that you've kind of brought back from the ashes. Uh, how did that come about?
2: Oh, well, that's exactly right. Non-con actually started here in los angeles um way before my time in about 1984 um i was only about you know 10 mm-hmm. I would have been 10 at the time so i wasn't quite up to stuff but um uh, it was a local band a local punk rock band and they were around for about a year and i remember having heard of the name non-con as i came up through the years and like the hardcore scene and punk rock but it was just a name on a flyer or a you know, a mention of some opening, 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 opening for like Dr. No or the Circle Jerks out here in in the Valley, something like that. So just something I'd seen. But then I happened to end up in a college class with the original guitar player. And uh, we became fast friends at the time with uh, with Kyle. And we'd always get together and and have ideas for songs and just goof off. I'm like, man, this is really cool. And he would tell me stories about non-con and stuff and how it was. I said, "Yeah, I'm not really doing anything. So let's, you know, let's bring the old jalopy out of the garage, put some new tires on it, you know, fix fix up the engine, you know, give it give it a nice scrub down, and see, you know, how fun it is to drive." So we got the band back together, as far as with the name, and and just started writing songs in the spirit of 1984, 1985. The idea was to create the band that made me want to get into punk rock in the first place. So the band that I wanted to go see in the backyard that blew the fifteen year old Jimmy's mind. You know what I mean? Right.
1: So and so with, that's kinda of how it's been. With this, is it um I mean are 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 the other original members of non con around, are they aware of what you guys are doing? Right. So the
2: original singer and guitar other guitar player Know about it and have come to the shows and have actually been like, wow, this is you've taken it somewhere so much more incredibly better than we did back before. So they're all for it, they're into it, they love it, and um, it's a lot, lot of fun.
1: And you had said um, that you kind of met the, the the guitar player that you're working with now uh, through college and uh, you know, just uh, through, through wearing band shirts and things like that, and and uh, right when you'd stated that earlier, it was kind of funny because it, it takes you back to, you know, being a kid and going to class and going to high school and, you know, seeing a guy in a Metallica shirt or, or seeing a, you know, the new kid walks in and he's wearing a Megadeth t-shirt and you're like, well, we're going to be friends, you know? So was it kind of like that? Exactly.
2: Because exactly. <laughs> all this is, is and from the underground. And when you see that one other person that knows about that other cool band or, oh, I'm sure this person's going to be awesome because I have got this shirt on and I've got, you know, an old circle jerk shirt on. Like, this is totally going to be cool. And so, yeah, because it's it's an instant kinship because you know something that nobody else knows and I know something that nobody else knows that not a lot of people are aware of and we're the ones who know it and we're cool. So <laughs> that's exactly what was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, though, Mikhail since then, since making the album, has had to leave the band. So, there is no original, original non members left, but I've carried it on, and, and it's going to go forward.
1: So when you first started talking to Kyle, was was he familiar with you? Did he know of, like, you, you had heard of non-com, but was he familiar with Downset?
2: Yes, he, he had heard of Downset, <clears throat> and then once he, you know, met me and found out about Downset, he checked it out, and he, he you know, he dug it. He was more into punk rock, but he definitely, uh, like Downset, especially after we actually played a few reunion shows with Noncon, Downset, and Noncon, so that was kind of cool.
1: What was it like so he, pulling yeah, double really duty? Yeah, that was uh, those were tiring nights. So, what's it like, kind of getting back, getting back in the swing of playing, you know, smaller shows again, and and kind of you know being the opening opening band and and things like that. You know, this this uh, far advanced in our lives.
2: It's great. It's exactly where I want to be. Um, I want to be coming from behind. I want to be the underdog, and I want to have no pressure on having to be anything other than just myself and the band as the joy that it is. Um, It's great to play in front of 10 people. It's great to play in front of, you know, a thousand people, but it's just so fun to have this be totally new and fresh and unencumbered. And without any kind of impetus on it, it just has to be us. And what we are is a lot of fun. So it's just a big shit-eating grin, to be honest with you. And it's just like, man, I feel good about playing music. And I'm just, I'm really loose and I'm playing better than I ever have. And I just feel more like myself. And that has to do with age and it has to do with experience. But it has to do with, like, not giving a fuck at the end of the day. If anyone likes you or doesn't like you anymore. It just are you having a blast and is it giving is it giving back to you and the answer is hundred percent
1: what's it like kind of uh, you know going from uh, you know you you know downset was signed to to a pretty prominent label and and kind of going through all that and then kind of getting back around now to to, to starting a band and and you know the Internet's available and getting, you know, songs out's available and, you know, even things down to podcasts and, you know, that can play the, play the songs and everything. There's It's, it's a c- completely different world out there. Is that what you're seeing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went away for a long time from the music um, business or scene as far as a player um, for a long time between Downset and um, this. I had had some stints and a few other side projects and done some things session-wise. But I'd never like signed, hitched my wagon to something that I'm like, okay, this is mine, this is us, and this is where we're going. Um, what it was like was it was the same, but different. It was the same coming back and playing these shows as, say, 1987, 1988, in that you're still playing backyards, you're still playing in front of crusty punk rockers or, you know, punk rock hardcore kids, and there's still that feeling of, Okay, this is the the genuine item, but just the it's like that stupid line from Dazed and Confused. I get older and they say <laughs> the same age, you know? Absolutely. So is a it, kid it's like the third, fourth generation of hardcore kids and the G B H patches and the you know, discharge um leather jackets, but it's the same face. It's the same enthusiasm and it's the same sort of scene that made it special and precious to me in the first place. That was how it was the same. Um, it is a, it was an entirely different landscape once I came back and put my poked my head up out of the bomb shelter as far as the music business and the way gigs got going like in clubs and the scene and then the ease of things. it was a lot more desperate and a lot more. The, the scene had died away. I mean, Downset, it was a great scene when Downset was going. I mean, there would be, you know, two two nights at the whiskey totally sold out. And it was just a given that the scene was there and that everyone was, you know, just it was just verdant and ripe and the label was there. And you could go on tours in a bus and the album sold and things. Everyone was great. Now it's like people can you know, i I feel sorry for anyone trying to make a living off of just straight being in a band, you got to hustle on such a level just to get things coming in. Cause it just seems like who buys CDs, who buys records, who buys, you know, shirts and who goes to the shows anymore. So as far as like bigger shows, like more expensive dollar shows. So that was a bit different trying to get shows and see some of those mid level shows happen was a lot a lot different. And as far as labels, forget it. I never want this band to be a money-making entity that, that we rely on for sustenance. I don't ever want non-con to pay the bills or pay a mortgage or make a car payment because then we're squeezing it and we're, come on, come on, come on. Let's let's do this and let's get, let's get this money. I mean, money's great now, of course, but this is supposed to be purely... Joy. this is supposed to be purely the man cave of your soul like we're making this music because it makes us feel young again and fun again
1: yeah i was just having this conversation the other day with uh with another uh, local musician here and we were you know we're, we're both pushing 40 and he might even be over 40 but you know mm-hmm. ta- like talking about that was, was uh you know getting a starting a band at this at this point in life it's just sounds like such a daunting task, and I think that that's what you would have to do it for at this point would be just to get out and play a couple of shows, get on the stage again, and, uh, you know, get those juices flowing.
2: Absolutely. As long as it has to, and more than ever, you have to be playing music for inner joy because nothing else is even expected these days. It's so, with with the internet being so amazing for all it can do for music, it also has made sort of, like, dedication and devotion to bands by the fan base a little bit more transient it's like ah next 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 because it's all there at your fingertips you don't have to search it out as much you don't have to go digging it's not a treasure hunt and once you find the thing you're looking for i.e the band that you like find out that you like it's not as precious or special to you because you didn't have to seek it out and it doesn't tend to stick as much as a consequence, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
2: You know, so the devotion might not be there, like to go buy the t-shirt, to go pay, you know, go to drive to a city an hour and a half away just to see him play, you know, and pay the 20 bucks type of thing. So in, in that respect, I think the internet has sort of made it a little too easy for a generation that doesn't know what it's like to sort of starve, quote unquote, for their heroes and, and their favorite band. It's maybe like, oh, yeah, next, next, next. And it's a whole other culture of being a music fan, I think, if you didn't know what people like you and I knew as far as the struggle to find all those great underground bands.
1: Oh, yeah, you would definitely go to the U.S. record store or the record store and just dig through piles and piles of vinyl and cassettes and CDs and and you would come across something like, okay, I think I've maybe heard of this, but heard about this in Metal Maniacs or you know Circus Magazine or something, and and uh, you would take, yeah, you, you know, then you would take it home, then you would check it out. But um, the wife and I just actually drove; uh, about, it's about a two-hour drive from here. But I uh, drove up to Indianapolis uh, last night and came back today. But uh, you know, the whole ride ride up, I've got my Spotify out, and I, I was just barreling through music, like, like. It, the instant something else would come into my mind, it was, you know, on to the next thing, and, you know, I was going, mm-hmm. you know, you know I went, uh, you know, down set, earth crisis, snap case, and then it ended up somehow in the Reverend Horton heat, and then the toadies, and it was just like, this nice. this, this the, the, you know, one thing, uh, like a stream of consciousness, like one thing led to another, and by the time we got to Indianapolis, I think we were listening to, like, Chiodos or something weird, but, you know, <laughs> you know as as a kid, you, you, would, you would put in Chaos AD, and listen to the entire thing and then, you know, put in something else, listen to the entire thing. And, you know, yesterday I was, uh, you know, I was making a three-fourths into a song and then I was switching it. So it's definitely a different world.
2: Exactly. Yeah, we had those big CD binders. And then when your car got broken into and they ripped (laughs) off all your CDs, it was was like, oh, my God, it took me five years to fill that thing and thousands of dollars. (laughs) Right. Remember when they would break into your car and steal your CDs or your cassettes? (laughs) So, but yeah, like the road trip with all the CDs. In fact, I'm doing an all CD road trip this summer too. I'm just going to, you know, we're going to head up North and it's just going to be like summer playlists on CD. So just kind of trying to keep it that feel because <laughs> you're right. You know, you'd go into the record store, the one record store that had cool stuff in town and you'd find a pile of demos by the band that was on tour and drop 10 of them off. And if you got one of those 10 demos, and you dug it it was like dude i got something special from the band's hand to mine like i want them to know how much like this means to me like like i'm i'm on board i'm in the club i'm like it was a special connection a more tactile sort of experience where you'd find out about bands like that word of mouth record stores you know going to the actual gig and that's kind of it happens a little bit still like that but I just noticed this all circles back to making a living and getting your music out there in a a staying a sticking type of manner. I'm just not sure so sure how that works anymore.
1: Right? Yeah, I don't think that anybody's uh, you know going to make a. I just don't see it like the next generation of kids like how they're going to you know make the money off of off of you know their music and things like that. And the one thing that I think that Spotify could do, and at the end of the day, is you know back in the day I would you know you would you might go to the record store, you might find an album and you might pay the ten, twelve, fourteen bucks for it, and get it home and hate it and you know listen to mm-hmm. listen to it one time, never listen to it again, but with a thing like Spotify, if you come across something you like, Spotify tallies how many times you play that song so I mean I think that that at right. some point maybe someone should get rewarded for um you know continuous plays like you know you know over and over and over like. I think that's where the money will end up coming from. Like, if a fan enjoys you enough yeah, to listen clearly. to it, you know, daily or three or four times a day, I think that's where you'll, you know, the maybe, maybe some sort of bonus with increments, but then that gets kind of weird with, you know, computers and people playing it, you know, yeah. on some sort of random player or something. I don't know.
2: Right. Like, hiring something to, like, just have your stuff played a thousand times and kind of automated just to, like, rig the system. I get yeah. that. But, but I, mean, I mean, why? I think that, yeah. I mean, I think you should get, paid for your art if it's being broadcast. Um, I just don't think you'd make this stuff just to, you know, have to give, I mean, it's for exposure, it's awesome. And at this point, like, I, I don't care, is go ahead and listen to NonCon on Spotify as much as you want, and I think that's great because it's just getting the word out. I'm not looking to get paid, yeah. but I could see someone like, I've seen the, the articles, like Metallica makes 14 bucks off of 17 right. million spins, you know, and it's just like, okay when you're talking about that kind of thing, that's like, come on, it's glaringly, um, you know, one-sided.
1: Yeah. And in all honesty, man, you know, the system's always been rigged. I mean, they always talked about, uh, you know, back when TRL was a big thing, you know, like record companies had mm. had armies of teenagers that would, you know, or dial MTV, stuff like that. They would have armies of teenagers, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, sitting in call centers and calling in, Hey, can I, I'd love to hear the new Corn album, you know, things like that. Or, uh, you know, yeah. it's always been something. So it's not like this is a brand new thing, but it's definitely, uh, definitely. Uh, you know, we're we're kind of in a, I, don't, I guess, kind of in a waiting zone just to see what happens next.
2: What, what the next turn of the page will be. I, mean, I remember um, out here locally, um, they had street teams for, like, say, I remember street teams for Apex Theory that later became Lincoln Park. And System of Down, they had really good street teams of like kids putting up posters and calling in radio stations and, you know, requesting stuff everywhere and, and dropping off stickers. You'd see them outside of shows. And it, back, I remember those kinds of things, like mm-hmm. when re- record companies would have to rely on humans to push the band that they were trying to break. But that's yeah. very much how it used to happen. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah I mean I've had people on here that you know on the on the business side of uh things that got their start in street teams or got their start in uh mobilizing street teams and you know now there's mm-hmm. st- now they're still in the industry doing marketing for for labels or or even uh, you know running labels with people so it's you know that de- that's definitely you know was a thing it's a de- you know i I've thought about that you know just the um you know, to to promote the podcast. You know, I was like, you know, if you guys are going to shows, you know, print yeah. out some flyers, hand them out. You know, like going old absolutely. school. Absolutely.
2: Because. Well, yeah, absolutely, and that that's all should still be done, and and anything I can do, if you any, if you got anything to send my way, I'll pass it out too. Shoot. Very cool. I'll share man. stuff on Facebook and all that stuff because I love the show. Awesome. I listen to I it quite you're... often, and I just was listening to the uh, the Billy Milano stuff. That was uh he was character outstanding. I saw them play SISOD's sort of reunion back in the nineties here at the whiskey. I think we did two nights, and it was berserk
1: okay. <laughs> it
2: was so good in flames opened up, and it was just <laughs> the whiskey packed like stacked people stacked onto each other and like just moshing like old school moshing It was <laughs> hilarious, it was great, so badass.
1: Yeah, I've wondered. He's a like, funny guy. A, yeah, you know? that's what you know. Like I said, I had, I was having really bad technical difficulties on that one. And uh, man, he was at the yeah. very end there. He was getting into some minor threat talk, and I could have listened to that for hours. And then you know the Skype just shut down. And I was like, God bless America. But uh, but yeah, it was. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> I definitely have, you know. He, we he, we've talked since then, and he's, you know, definitely wants to come back on at some point. So, so definitely get that together. But uh,
2: let him know I'm a big. Let him know I'm a big fan.
1: <laughs> I will do, man. Yeah, he was. He's living down in Texas now, you know. He, wow. Between, yeah, Austin, Texas. Kind of seems like he fits right in down there. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I mean, somehow that makes sense.
1: You know, it's funny when I was kind of researching him. You know, just doing my quick you know internet google searches it was always like mod vocalist sod vocalist and former anthrax roadie and the, i was there thinking about it you know <laughs> you know with, with the passing of big val and people like that like like yes, the roadie whom i knew yeah well, we'll get some of those stories but who you know the, the, at one point like the roadie of a band was like a big deal you know and and he was and to this yeah. day he's still referred to as former anthrax roadie so you know that was that, that's crazy that that Looking back on stuff like that, but hit me with the hit me with some good Big Val stuff because I've got one story for him. Well,
2: I, I once well when we when Downset toured with Pantera in Europe in 1995 or six, um, we would it, that was just heavy metal summer camp. It was the best. But Big Val was literally huge. I mean, I'm six five, but this guy made me. Dwarfed, and I wasn't very—I wasn't a big guy back then. I was very tall, but this guy was just a monster. He was a tank, and um, I remember it was sort of a thing we would do when Pantera would be halfway through their set. They would invite everyone on out onto the stage, and we would drink black tooths with them. We'd do a shot, you know, everyone would do a shot, and then we would throw some. and dime got it into throwing a bunch of these shots out to the crowd. And so I don't know why, but I would huck these things as hard as I could. These like plastic cups full of whiskey and Coke. And I, one night <laughs> I, cause you can't, when you're on stage, you can't see very far out in the crowd with all the lights on, uh, the when they're just beaming on you. But so I got off stage and big valve comes around the corner and he's like, what the
0: hell are you doing? I'm like, Whoa, dude,
2: what's wrong? He's like, <laughs> You threw, like, four shot glasses onto the soundboard. Like, they went all the way to the back of the venue and, like, rained down all over Big Val and all over, like, the sound engineer and, like, totally gummed up the works. And he's like, could you ever do that shit again? I'm going to fucking pound the crap out of you. I'm like, oh, my God, I just fucking ruined everything. We're going home. But, no, he was, was really cool after that. We drank one time in Germany. Big Val, myself, Dime and I think Phil was there, but I've never seen anybody able to like drink so many beers. I think we were in the bar from like ten till six AM. Ten ten PM to six AM and just Big Val did not stop. He was just a machine. The guy was a born and bred moose of a man and he was a big heart, and he meant business, but he loved the people he worked for, and he, you know, did not let any crap fly. And he, he was a great dude, and he was great at what he did. And I thought he was very cool.
1: Yeah, he, um, when I was, I think I've told the story a little bit on the podcast before, but I've never told the big valve part of it. But uh, when I was uh, 15... I think like the far, mm-hmm. Pantera's on the Far Beyond Driven tour. It's like '94, and um, they were playing in Nashville. And um, me and a buddy of mine, who actually is now a bus driver, and every time I talk to him, he's like driving Dave Mustaine or somebody crazy. But um, right. and, and uh, he, he, so he, he and I went down to downtown, and we found buses and a nice hotel, and and uh, we kind of staked it out for god 12 hours i feel like we were there forever and uh (laughs) yeah yeah when i could when you had no no worries (laughs) and uh we we walked in the the one of the sweeps through the hotel lobby big Val was just sitting at a and just on one of the couches in a lobby you know probably working on a little manila you know a folder or something and and um Mm -hmm. you know and, and at that point you know he's he's big on the uh pantera home videos we knew exactly who he was and Man, we sat down and talked to him. Yeah. You know, he talked to us, and he was just like, you know, as long as you guys are cool, you know, everybody's, you know, they'll take pictures and sign your stuff, and they'll be down in a little while. You know, guys, just hang out. I mean, it's not like they were, you know, it wasn't like a Brazil or something where there's like nine million people. It was like three of us. Yeah, right. It gets a
2: little nutty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah.
1: but yeah, man, he was couldn't have been sweeter to us, and uh like he, you know, God, maybe an hour later, we look over, and there's a pink beard checking out of the hotel, and. You know, our our hearts dropped (laughs) and ran over there. And, you know, I've got some great pictures of me, uh, you know, being I think I was 14 or 15.
2: Yeah, man, those are great times. Again, when bands were huge and like they were legends and you would see them and it's like, oh, my God, there they are in the flesh. And uh, there was something special to you. But those were good times. I miss the, the days of there being legends in my life. That it's like, I mean, the legends that were then to me are still to me, but I think I, I look for where are the new legends, you know? Where are those new pink beards and the kids <laughs> okay. in the lobbies? Like, that's, that's that, amazing. you know,
1: what's crazy? Real is quick, it,
2: on, go ahead. I was just going to mention real quick, I just want to give a shout out also to Tiny, uh, the, the security guy for biohazard and suicidal tendencies. He was, we were on the road with him our first tour ever, and he has also passed away. Uh, we miss him as well. So, Big Val and Tiny, rest in peace. We miss the both of you. You great. We're great guys.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, The um, I think the heroes are out there. I just don't know how, you know, how keyed into, you know, what the kids are listening to kind of thing. Like, you know, my
2: dad. Well, that's da- that's my da- it. Am I – I- Yeah, am I just the old guy on the porch saying, get off my lawn. You kids don't understand a yar. Back in my day, you should have seen it. Rattle cane, rattle the cane, rattle shake the cane. Or is it, you know, is it truly a a gap? Is it a, a dark time in culture as far as people connecting to new music and the ability for new music to become something bigger than just music, to become culture and legendary art? Yeah. I don't
1: know. It's funny we were um yesterday it was my birthday that's why we went to Indianapolis. Happy birthday, right? And uh turned 38, which is kind of odd. Um <laughs> but I, so I talked to my dad and my dad my dad's good about you know when I was your age this is what we were doing. So I asked him I was like what were you doing at 38? And he's like okay, well we were living here and we were and, and you know when he was 38 I was 16, so, you know, roughly around the time, Pantera, you know, all that stuff, but to me, my dad was a million, you know, he was a million years old, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, you know, and I couldn't imagine, like, the other day, I listened to, like, four episodes of a podcast about He-Man, you know, and uh, the yeah. br- breaking, down, breaking down episodes of Masters of the Universe, and, you know... Amazing. <laughs> right, and uh, so, kind of looking back, I was like, c- could I imagine my dad listening to a podcast about like the Andy Griffith show or something and which would probably be kind of cool, but you know, you know Bunker. yeah, you know, I just couldn't imagine, I guess, I think we're in like a generation that uh, a generation of Peter pans or something, just, you know, a lot of nostalgia. That's a
2: great, that's, it's a great notion. You just brought up a generation of Peter pans. Like, absolutely. I think we're in a, in an arrested development, you know, a state of arrest development about, all the things that were pre internet and how much nostalgia we have for, them. I'm like, yes, yeah, tell you, yeah. four hours of a he man podcast, let's do this <laughs> like that's amazing like and uh, and back here like the to a b it against perhaps what your you know dad might have been doing at that age, it just the the search is the same, the sort of longing to to find something that's been dormant for a while to go back and find something that that scratched that itch back when you were sixteen or whatever um, is what it's all about. And I think the way they did it was, you know, their way. And the way we do it is our way and everybody in between and thereafter is going to be their way too. But it just has to do, I think, with the fact that it's so hyper much now, like everything all the time, nonstop, and it can be, just go by too quickly to grab hold of it. So what will the new nostalgia be, you know, in, in, Ten, sixteen
1: 16 years from now. Yeah, it's nuts, man. Actually, speaking of 16 years ago, we'll go 17 years ago because, uh, when my band opened for Downset in Arizona was June 25th, 2000. So this is actually the, uh, 17 year anniversary, I guess. Right. <laughs>
2: wow. Was that the outdoor show at yeah, Boston? Yeah.
1: At Boston. Yep.
2: Yeah. That was so fun. I broke the stage.
1: I've got some of that on video. I was actually looking for it the other day. Um, I've got I've got some of your set uh on video somewhere. But uh I've That's actually so I've good. actually got some of your sound cool. check on set on, on video too, which is really because you guys wow. Because you guys took too long to sound check and it actually cut into our set time, so we were only able to play four songs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> dude. Fucking down set, man. But <laughs> no, <laughs> It's still, you know, it's funny oh, though, man. man. You actually, you guys stuck, you know, I think we talked about this last time you were on, but you guys stuck around and watched the show and, I, and like, of all things I can remember, I can still see where you were standing in the crowd, which, you know, not that it was a big crowd right. because we were the first band on, but it was still like, it's some of that weird stuff that's like ingrained in your brain.
2: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It was a great, great time. All the bands that night were fucking chill. It was a great show.
1: Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was, If uh, you
2: have that video, put it out there, post it.
1: I'll try to find you it. Know. Like I was, that's I've smart. got, I, w- I was the guy that kept all the stuff. So I've got, you know, a box full of videotapes of just, you know, because we were so into Pantera and bands like that, we were like, oh, we got to videotape everything. So, um,
2: well, for, that's for, smart. Yeah. Usually, no one, no one had the wherewithal to sort of take the time to sort of archive it. Everything was just like,
1: yeah, fourteen views and head 1st Let's go, we. <laughs> You know, absolutely, man. Yeah, it was. uh, That was the first time I'd ever been out west, and you know they always talk about the dry heat (laughs) and stuff, man. And we had vinyl seats in our van, and I I fell asleep in like Flagstaff and woke up in Tempe and was just stuck to the van. It was was like 115. Yeah, it was crazy. It's almost that hot out out here now today. Yeah, I saw some uh, 105. I've seen like screenshots of people's phones, and it's all like everyone in Arizona is like 115 degrees right now it's crazy out there i you know yeah Ugh. no thank you yeah. we actually drove yeah, up AC. to uh, we we drove up to indianapolis to see uh joe rogan and man he did not disappoint yeah i saw that so good
2: he didn't disappoint he was good
1: man it was great i we we had a blast i had to the, the, there was like a row of of uh, like ladies behind us that were obviously I had a couple too many beers in them and would not shut up and I finally had to turn around and I'm like you guys have to stop and I thought I was going to start a like stop. it was like you know because the boyfriends were there too but they were all just like they were talking like they were at home and I'm like I'm trying to enjoy some Joe Rogan and I got the people behind me like she kept saying that she's like I, I can see two of them that's all, all she kept saying was I see two of them I'm like you're about to see <laughs> two of them <laughs> <laughs>
2: Now, did you do like a club day or was it like a a big spot? Where did he yeah, fight? it was a what did he, it was a big
1: th- it was the um, I guess it's like the Egyptian Theater. It was you know, uh, you, you know, had the two levels, the balcony and the and the and the he oh, and okay. so did it two. Was, sh- it was two shows it, too. So I mean, it was he made some money that night. Awesome, you know, yeah, it being well, you know being the. You know the musician in me or the touring musician in me I looked at the stage. it was two monitors and a and a microphone, and I'm like man he's and he's just pocketing all the money you
2: know and just all there's no sound guy there's just him, a mic, two monitors and a glass of water.
1: yeah, I remember a friend of my a friend of mine did sound for uh for Henry Rollins, like in the 90s, at a at a spoken word thing at a uh, the, the, at the club 328 in Nashville, and uh mm-hmm. and if and the mic fed back on him like three times, and on the third time, and Henry like finally just called him out, and he was just like, dude, it's just me and a microphone. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> yeah, like how how is this happening?
1: let's let's jump into the uh, college stuff because that's actually fascinating. that, uh you know, oh, okay, you can cool. you could go to you could go to school and you know, legendary hardcore bass player, James Morris is your teacher.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, actually I'll be teaching here in Los Angeles at Los Angeles Valley College. I'll be teaching, uh, television broadcasting. You like the basics of your three camera live shoot, uh, IE news production and like ENG news gathering training. So yeah, uh, that's what I do at, at work. And it's, I've been blessed to be able to go back to my alma mater that I just got my AA in this last couple of weeks ago, finished my studies there as well. And I'm going to be giving back and teaching the skills that I've learned at work back to, you know, a new generation of, you know, television creators.
1: You know, my my high school actually um, offered video production class. And this was, mm-hmm. you know, in the 90s when, you know, things like that were still around, you <laughs> know. Instead of shop, I think yeah. that was one of the extracurriculars they offered was video production. And, uh, you know, we learned exactly. about all the, um, you know, making a movie and stuff. And actually, it's funny, two of the guys in the class, they're twin brothers. Um, they actually just won uh, Emmys for um, for some documentary work they did. But, you know, it's like that's, Great. yeah, it's crazy seeing, you know, uh, people you went to school with and... Uh, you know, see them all up there with Emmys and things like that. But, it's amazing
2: where things shake out and then where people end up and what they do. It's really cool.
1: They, they came in like that though. They came into the class, like knowing more than our teacher. Like they were, that's, they, they were, they were one of the few people that when you met them, you know, when they were 16, 17, they knew exactly what they wanted to do with life and they did it. And that's, you know, one of those things that's, yeah. It's just crazy to see
2: that's something that I've never had. And I was always envious of like the people that were set in the 10th grade, they already knew what college they were going to and they were totally going for it. And you see them today and they're doing well. And I, I just hope that all of it worked out. You know, for me, I just kind of stumbled into an amazing ride and I wouldn't change a thing, but you always wonder what, how the other half lived. Like, going to school and getting the job and figuring it out having kids and the house so
1: you know what yeah, the, you, you know that trip. nobody ever figured it out though you know that's the one thing you uh you know getting to this part of my life and you're, you're like you know what nobody knows what they're doing nobody knows what's going on i know that now
2: uh, <laughs> yeah i do know that now i didn't know it then
1: it's funny um you know, I work for the post office now, and you know, I go. Uh, I should be a, like a full-time employee in like two years, so it'll be 40, and mm-hmm. then you know, you need about 20, 25 years in to fully retire. And there are guys there that have worked that basically graduated high school and um, went to work. For you know, went to work for the post office, and they will they will retire probably at 50. And I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what? I I I. You know, I toured and, and played music and all that nonsense. Like, in, I basically retired at between like 18 and 28, and then went to work. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then like, tw- I did, I did the all the fun stuff early. Thing
0: I did. Yeah,
2: I did all the fun stuff early, and then I went back to school and I got a a real job in, you know, television engineering. So yeah, I mean me and you. <laughs> same type of gig same type of thing
1: what, uh, what how you did know. you how did you first get involved in, uh, in the TV side of things
2: well when Downset fell apart in about 2001 2002 whatever it was I took a look around and I said you know I'm going to go back to school but I have no idea what I want to quote unquote do so I was like well I like movies I like TV that seems fun and coming from a production sort of world with music of like being in the studio and having been around sort of television interviews and being interviewed and things like that. I was like, you know, I always took a look at the way the camera people worked and the way the sound people worked. And when we were on the set of say a show that we were going to be playing on or interviewed on the dance that I always would sort of see the kind of background work that it took to make something happen. I was like that, hey, you know, people are always hustling, moving around, having fun. And so I said, okay, I'll go back to school and I'll study film and television. And everyone in the television department was trying to be an actor. And I was like, no way. The only criteria I have here is that I'm looking to get a nine to five and something that doesn't suck, but I do not want to act. <laughs> I do not want it to be another hustle like music. You know? Yeah. So when everyone was trying to act for the camera, I was trying to learn technical directing or audio or playback, et cetera, lighting, and or directing. And I became an assistant to the stage manager in the studio at school, so much so that I took over that job and got an internship at ABC, local KABC studios here in Los Angeles. And I just, I got in doing interning for local production shows, like local magazine type shows, lifestyle shows, and I just said, I'm never leaving. I'm, I'm just staying. And I thank God that was just before the door kind of closed on that kind of stuff. You can't really do that anymore. Get in as an intern and then just sort of get the full time job and go ahead. It, it, I kind of threaded the, the needle on that one. I just was such a good intern that I was offered editing training and then I was offered, you know, graphics on the news and then I became staff on the news doing engineering and playback and things like that and i've just moved sort of hopscotch my way upwards mm-hmm. ever since and you know now i'm staff and you know 401k and pension and i'm you know have a nice little life and it's a lot of fun
1: that's so great that's like the perfect town to be in there too i mean even though it's the local abc i mean it's still la <laughs> you know it's not we have yeah we Peoria have the something
2: stuff. Yeah. We have, we have the network upstairs. It's, it's the big show. It's definitely the big show. Like there's lots of rock stars of television walking around the halls and it's like, Oh, that's cool. So have you, it's a lot of fun. Something new, something new every time.
1: Yeah. Have you, um, so, come across anybody that's like, Whoa, wait a minute. You're down, you know, you're James is a down set. Like, has that happened?
2: I did, yeah. Like a couple of times. Here's two, two instances. Um, when live with Kelly, uh, Regis and Kelly, yeah, was came out to L.A. for like the Oscar show one year. This is about maybe ten years ago. I was you know walking down the hall, and their producer, one of their producer segment producers, was like, "Hey, don't I know you?" I was like, "Man, don't I know you?" And uh, did you used to work in New York? And I was like, "No, I just came straight out of music." And he's like, "Wait, wait." Music like heavy music. I was like, yeah. He's like, downset. And I was like, yeah. He's like, I love downset. Oh my god, what the hell are you doing here, man? And that was funny. And then um, we have a stage that we rent out—a big, full-on production stage like for movies, etc. And um, them Crooked Vultures nice. was doing their video shoot uh, in the stage B, and I remember seeing Josh Home um, in the hall, and I was like, "Hey, man, don't know if you remember me, but I interviewed you one time on a radio show." And I was like, "Oh, hey, yeah, what's up?" So, That's so cool. those are my two rock and roll stories in TV. <laughs> I got to meet a couple of cool people, like Adam Ant came through one time. Nice. And that was neat because I was into him as a little kid.
1: <laughs> it's always so crazy. Like, also, the... wait, go ahead. There was a dude. The dude from like Slaughter. Or,
2: well, the guy, the guy that makes children's books now who's the guitar player for the hair metal band hmm. that got, that has like, he writes and illustrates children's books. I forget who he was, but anyway, he was on set and it was cool to meet him. i was like, dude, loved you guys.
1: That's so funny, man. A buddy of mine, um, he actually was in, in 12 Volt negative earth after we played with you guys, but he, uh, he, he moved out there. I feel like he's been out there for seven, eight years now, but I'll call and talk to him. And he's like, like, what are you up to? And he's like, Have you looked at the Hollister.com lately? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, why would I ever look at Hollister.com? He was like, I I've uh, I guess he figured out a color pattern that he didn't tell them how he how he was doing it for their photos. Mm-hmm. It's really bizarre. Like it's like that's just some messed up stuff that he does. But so now they like that theme so much that they have to basically hire him to do it because they don't know what he's doing or something. He's he's told told me the number that he's making for just you know uh, for taking for for not even taking the photos, just editing the photos. I was like, good god, yeah. You know, it's just it's a it's an it, insane world out there.
2: It is. It'll, something will float by the river. You'll pick it up and it'll turn out to be gold. He uh,
1: like, you didn't even know, you know. <laughs> Actually, we that was another thing. We stayed in a, uh, an Airbnb last night, and actually last night was the first time we've just stayed in someone's. A room in someone's house like the the other the other the other few times that we've done it it's we did it in chicago for riot fest uh when the misfits reunited uh but but they had Mm -hmm. like a separate entrance on their into the into their basement and they had this whole um like room set up like a hotel room it was pretty cool little airbnb and then we did one when we went to myrtle beach with the kids but it was just a condo that they had on there but last night was totally just like Go through their house, up the stairs, and the rooms up there. It was really. I was like, I couldn't. I could not imagine having some stranger sleeping in my house. Like, you know, I. I had, you know, obviously bands coming through or something like that. That's one thing, but like someone that's just like renting out the room. That's just weird to me.
2: Yeah, it would be weird to me too. But I mean, I guess it's good money.
1: Right. It, it, it was. It, it was only mm-hmm. like forty bucks. It was. That was the other thing. I was like, for forty bucks, I, I would just. I think I would just rather have peace and quiet in my house, but. <laughs> but the. Uh, well. Yeah, it was a cool little part of town. You know, we walk, We were able to walk to the venue and back, and you know, a little pizza place, stuff like that. But, uh, but oh, the Airbnb thing was uh, when he first moved out there with his. It was him and his wife and his two kids. They all moved out there. Um, they found a. They found like a half a house on Airbnb. It was, right. Yeah, it, like you know and they, they, it was a reasonable rate and they get there and they're looking around the house and um and they they see a ton of pictures of uh Jonathan Taylor Thomas and, he, oh, yeah. and so, so he finally he finally asked, he's like he's like why are the, you know what's up and she it was it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas's mom and and so he ended up staying there for like six eight months and uh he's like called me one day he's like yeah we went out on the boat with old jtt and (laughs) you know and then you know uh you know john taylor thomas's mom had you know didn't have any grandkids or something like that and so they kind of she kind of adopted his kids and so they they ended up having like this uh not adopted but you know but brought them into the house you know know, kind of thing and uh Sure, Yeah, right. So, so now some, you know, that's just a total California story to me.
2: Exactly, it is a California story. That, that makes that's a good way to put it.
1: Let's let's jump back to one thing real quick, and then we'll uh, finish this up. But, uh you know, you were talking about going to shows, um, you know, late '80s, in in and around the mm-hmm. California area, and that's you know, a great time for music back then. You know, what was the craziest Absolutely. show you saw? Maybe you know, what's the craziest band you saw in the backyard?
2: Oh, in the backyard. Um, I saw a band called Excel, um in the backyard. I don't know if they're like a, thr- a... Those guys are like the progenitors of like thrash, hardcore, E-X-C-E-L. It yeah. was so good. And um, it was like seeing a battle royal. It was because they were from Venice, <laughs> and they played out in a place called Eagle Rock, and it was a backyard, and it was just... <laughs> head Over heels, people jumping off roofs, people just stage diving into the pool. Like it was, it was like a Beastie Boys video when they played. It was crazy. It was, you know, pies in the face, windows kicked <laughs> in. It was, it was insane. There was so many backyard shows that I got to see some great like bands that no one ever heard of, but some stuff that kind of you know went on to be you know kind of big bands like Excel and then just um, saw like well later on. Uh, Dave Cornell. Not Dave, but um, Chris Cornell and um, do an audio slave in a backyard in Venice type of thing. Oh, wow. Just crazy stuff like that. Seeing like Nirvana at the whiskey or like Sublime at the whiskey. Stuff that started out small but became bigger than life. So I was lucky to have a place that I'd go to every weekend as a kid called the Country Club here in Reseda. And I saw everybody go through there from like you know, exploited to, like, all the hardcore jams that, that, you know, I came up with, all the great hardcore bands, No For an Answer, DI, Flower Leopards, all the great punk rock stuff, Circle Jerks, Adolescents, blah, 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 Pro Mags. And it was always just one thing after another. I got to see all those great bands, in late 80s, early 90s shows. It was every weekend. It was fantastic.
1: How often did you see the whole, uh, you know, like a band would move from, you know, Kansas out there or something like that, like to chase the dream? How often How often well, did that actually happen?
2: That I think that happened a lot, but I think that was more the Sunset Strip sort mm-hmm. of scene, the metal scene. I think that was, um, I think I was on the fading end of knowing about those kinds of people because we were always hardcore kids that hung out with always other hardcore kids from here we never really were trying to quote unquote make it we weren't trying to do anything bigger than we were which was just the backyards and the occasional shows and so we didn't really know like the musicians quote unquote that went to like MIT and Hollywood and moved out you know on their very last dime in their dad's Pinto and were like living on the couch of somebody those are great stories and those happened by the Millions here in in Los Angeles, but I think that was more of like the metal dudes, the more of the like musicians, like the guys that can really, really play. Wanted to get out to LA, play the Sunset Strip, play the whiskey, play the Roxy, play Gutsari's, play the Cat Club, and quote unquote be discovered, get in a really good band and, and get, you know, the experience with all that rock star trapping. But so I didn't know very many people. Been, none of my friends were like Joe Schmo from Padunka who came out here to be in a hardcore band. That never happened. Uh, it just seemed like we went to other cities and played with their hardcore scene. Yeah. There was not really a lot of people in my circle that came out to to sort of make it, but that was there, and we saw them all over the place, if you were down on Hollywood Boulevard or on the Sunset Strip, for sure.
1: it's amazing. That's the one thing, uh, and another thing, too, is like following you on social media. I, I love the you know, throwback Thursday type photos you do. Like the, I saw one the other day it was like, you know, you and Chino and Chino's wearing a downset shirt, you know, that's, and that, yeah. that's like around the fur, like super sensual Chino. Right? <laughs> like uh,
2: Yeah. That was the first record
1: actually. Was it that really? Was wow. adrenaline? Yeah.
2: Yeah. That was their first record still. They hadn't made around the fur yet. And we toured with them in the States. What a, what a great time. Us and orange nine millimeter and a wow. band called far. Yep. Uh, we toured with the death tones and again, just to see a band in their prime and to really see them forming and, and just, just a deadly machine every night on stage, just a band that was just like looking at a fireball, like you were like staring into the sun. And it's like, damn, these guys are amazing. Whatever they do, you can't buy or create that. It just is. And so those experiences were great. Yeah. The, Flashback Fridays and throwback Thursdays. I try to to find all that stuff and put it out there as much as I can.
1: I saw one photo and I think it's, I've seen it a few times. I believe it's maybe you at Giant Stadium or something, but you know, you kind of got your arm outstretched. uh, You know, it's just like a sea of people. Uh, I think they were used at. I'm doing. Go ahead. No, I, was, I'm, I was doing
2: the Hulk Hogan where you know how he would oh, cut yeah. his ear and like <laughs> and he would lean forward in the ring yeah, yeah. and like I can't hear I can't hear you and I was holding my bass up yeah that was we played with Metallica oh
1: wow uh,
2: that day at Giant Stadium and that was Insane Slayer and Metallica uh, Marilyn Manson <laughs> and Black Sabbath Ozzy like what Pantera. <laughs> like every like everybody if they would have dropped a bomb yeah on the stadium that day like 75% of all the great metal in the United States would have been gone. <laughs>
1: that's insane. That's a great that's a great <laughs> that's a great analogy there. Yeah, that's uh yeah, man. and I remember we played we
2: played like, you know, the gates had opened. We were like the first band on the on the bigger stage or whatever or the side stage, I mean. Um and it was insane. And everyone just went berserk. It was so cool and so fun playing in Giant Stadium for like thousands and thousands of metalheads. It was so cool.
1: So that the day you call your parents and you're like, "I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here." You know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You wish you know, on those kind of days. You just wish all your friends could be there. Like I'm in New York playing with who? Like I wish all my friends could see this because it would just be so insane. And so you know, I guess they. Live vicariously now through the, the photos and stuff. But what a, what a, just mind-bending! Like everybody, you saw everybody that day, like everybody playing. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, I was. um I was actually looking for some some other stuff, but I kept coming across downs that uh, looked like in '96. There were some some shows in uh, in Germany and things like that with like Sepultura on the Roots tour, and I was like, God, what an what an amazing tour to have been on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, those those were great shows, too. We would go over there and then link up like three or four shows with certain bands. I remember Sepultura being one of them, like in the Max days when yeah. it was just like, shit, this is insane. Like those drums and just those dreads flying all over the place and just... I'm like, wah! We're opening for this. This is so good. And the same thing we did—we opened up for Machine Head and Slayer in Ireland and in the UK, Man. like on the on the end of some one of our tours. Just wow! Like, whoa! It was so cool. Was it
1: was this was it strange for you guys to be kind of um, so welcomed by like the metal community?
2: Well, I don't, you know, Europe at the time was straight up open arms. They. We're, they we're so ahead of the game as far as like, we don't give a fuck if it's rap metal or speed metal or death metal or pop, whatever. They just love to have fun. And there wasn't all these prerequisites for, well, you're this, but you're not that. And not, so I don't like you and I'm going to snub my nose, you know, in your direction. It was just like, fuck yeah. I mean, we went over there. Nobody knew us. We opened up for Biohazard and we had. 2,000, 3,000 people a night jumping up and down. Mm -hmm. And they just were like, this is great. They immediately got it, whether it was Downset or it was Slayer or it was Sepultura or, you know, a million different other bands that we played with over there or toured with. There wasn't a stigma on, like, that's two different kind of music, so I don't think it's going to work. There was none of that over there. It was pure joy.
1: Are the are the other guys in Downset doing anything musically these days? Do you keep in touch with those guys? Well, I, I really don't
2: keep in touch with them. Everyone's kind of got their own thing going on, and um, so yeah, I don't. I wish them all the best. But I, you know, I talk to Chris Hamilton probably the most, and he's doing a lot of cool stuff. And everyone else is kind of off doing their own thing, and I wish them the best. You know,
1: very cool. And then, uh, do you guys ever get the you know the 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 random offers for festivals and reunion, things like that. And the, you know, the riot fest type stuff. Yeah, We played, um,
2: this is hardcore about three or four years ago. We, re- uh, reunited for that out in Philadelphia. And that was really cool. Um, if the right offers come along and the, then the guys in the band want to do it and everyone's friends, like I got no problem with that. That's, that's, you know, downside is bigger than just me or, whomever has grudges as long as you know the band can get together and be straight up 40 year old men that can have fun then i say let's do it uh, i don't personally get too many calls anymore i mean i have but i just i don't know i i i know that there, there's all these people that oh it would be so cool if you did this or you did that and you know it's i'm just here having fun so if everyone wants to be friends and have fun then I am not against talking about playing live if the if it's the right offer.
1: Yeah, I think this we're we're kind of getting into that zone where I think at the the festival circuit, and you know, uh, getting gear and things like that, everything's kind of lined up to where it's not, you know, where you don't have to lug your SVT. You know, three SVTs across oh my, nah. town. You know, what I'm saying you can just a lot of times show up to the gig, and you know they've got what you uh, what you need type stuff. Like th- you know, you know what I'm saying. Like the flying dates are are seem like they're much more uh, attainable these days.
2: They're much more well oiled yeah, now, there and you go. things move a lot smoother. Yeah, so you're definitely correct. It's it's a lot more convenient to just get on with a couple bases and fly somewhere than it is with you know road cases full of junk. that <laughs> now in the days of you know they weigh everything and charge by the weight you'd be two thousand dollars out of pocket before you even touch ground
1: wow oh man yeah so what's the uh what's the what's the um you know the, the story for non-con are you guys uh doing shows you know the album is out what was, the, yeah, what was the what was the label of the albums out on the
2: album is out on irish voodoo records and you can get the cd right now at rev hq.com that's revelation records distribution and there's going to be a full release on vinyl and uh, streaming coming very soon but the cd is out right now through those two places um you can find us at facebook at nonconla la and you can find us on instagram at uh, nonconofficial official going forward i think that um well we just played a show on friday uh, out here at a local club called Cafe Nela with some great hardcore bands, Short Temper, uh, Forced Identity, and Agro Mucho. There's still a big scene, and it was just a great, you know, just a, a mess of people just going nuts. It's been a lot of fun. I think going forward, it's going to be a lot of local shows. We're playing with that band DI and Last Ditch Effort in um, August out here in Corona, California. And we're, we want to play your backyard. That's non-con. <laughs> we want to play your backyard. The answer is yes. We'll play it. And it's just ho- however many friends we can make whatever kind of shows we can do here locally and the most fun we can have. It's about, uh, you know, it's about blowing off steam and having a great time with hardcore punk rock, L.A. style. So I'm looking forward to just playing more shows, writing more music.
1: Well, James, man, thanks for taking the time and uh, thanks for redoing this. I'll, I'll I'm sure I'll tell the story about uh, about Elton <laughs> hanging out with us last time.
2: Yeah, he's great. Give Elton a high five for me, will you?
1: I will. I think he's asleep somewhere in the house, but uh, uh, <laughs> so we're gonna end it with a middle class shakedown. Do you have any uh, words, a uh, story behind this one?
2: Yeah, um, middle class shakedown is well, I live in a place called the San Fernando Valley out here in California, and it was sort of uh, a crux of middle-class communities and middle-class dreams and the the sort of pillar of Southern California middle-class culture. And, you know, started in the 50s and died, started to die in the 80s and has been a corpse since. And it's sort of like all us people who grew up here and watched what sort of we were told was our foundation and our belief in the quote-unquote American dream, all that dying up. And what's left to support the upper class of this great nation if you don't have the middle class, you know, bearing it on its back. So It's about sort of the withering of the American dream and the shrinking of opportunities here in Los Angeles and across the world. Working just
0: to get the
1: And another huge thank you to James Morris for coming on the podcast. Make sure to check out talktomepod.com for all your talk to me needs. You can find the uh, web store there. You can find uh, ways to, uh, the Patreon page, all that great stuff over there. Make sure to support Noncon and, uh, go and check them out in a backyard near you. <laughs> so I definitely have to end the show with some downsets. So we will definitely, uh, let's end the show this week with Empower by Downset And, uh, I will talk to you guys next Tuesday.